Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. I want to speak today for a few moments, if I can, on the thought of it was just a test. And today I find myself revisiting a text that we just recently walked through together concerning a man by the name of Jairus. If you were with us last Sunday, we began to talk about his story. And in his story, there was a woman that was interwoven that we focused with more so. But today, we want to intertwine his, his story into this message. And last week, I talked about it's uncomfortable being vulnerable. And I, for a message that was very difficult, very earthy, very get to where I live, there was a great response from folks who I felt like the Holy Spirit really helped, helped us. And being vulnerable is not easy. Being humble is not easy. I mean, I'm not saying you can't do it. It's just vulnerability is not something that we like to make ourselves exposed to. And I want to talk this morning, if God will help me, about Jairus on this Father's Day. Especially, it's fitting that we speak from his perspective today as it is Father's Day. So if you will, I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8. What a chapter in Luke chapter 8. In the passage of chapter 8 in Luke's gospel, and it's filled with so many stories that we talk about continually, Jesus, in this whole book, he's traveling with his disciples. How many disciples did Jesus handpick? Twelve. And the Bible starts out in Luke chapter 8 and tells us that Jesus was traveling with his disciples, his entourage, as well as some of the women, certain women, the Bible said, who had been delivered and healed in his ministry. So he had a following of men and women who were impacted by the influence on his life. And in, in, it's in this chapter that he began to release a famous parable that you and I know very well of the parable of the seed and the sower. Jesus would teach the multitudes the, the story. The Bible said that he spoke not lest he spoke in parables. Parables are earthly stories that reveal heavenly truth. So Jesus, depending on his audience, if I'm with fishermen, I'm going to tell fishermen stories. If I'm with farmers, I'm going to tell farming stories. So he was the greatest storyteller that ever lived. And he would tell the story, but he wouldn't give them the hidden meaning until he got alone with his group, his disciples. And so the Bible begins to teach us that he is telling us the story of the parable of the seed and the sower, and he would then bring explanation to his disciples. Jesus, in that same book of, of Luke chapter 8, in that same chapter, he would also get on a boat and on his journey, they would encounter a storm and he would get up and begin to speak peace and command the storm to stop and he would begin to speak peace, be still. And the Bible said that the storm ceased. 
And then it's after the storm that Jesus gets on land. And when he gets on land, he encounters a demoniac out of the tombs of Gadarene. And he would deliver this demon-possessed man from his possession. Now, some people would like to say, well, pastor, there's, uh, there is no uh, demon possession anymore. <laughs> and if you believe that, <laughs> you might be sitting next to a devil. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Or worse yet, you might be the devil. Come on, though. <laughs> I know this is Father's Day. Let's keep it, let's keep it really... <laughs> But the Bible said that he encountered the demon and legion because there were so many in the man that he commanded them and they went into a herd of swine and they went over a cliff head first. And it's after that that he delivers this man from demon possession on this particular occasion. Uh, Jesus continues to travel. And it's in his travels that Jairus makes an appearance. Jairus is known as a young ruler of the synagogue. He's a somebody. He's somebody. And he makes his appearance and he comes to Jesus with an urgent request. And then before Jesus could help Jairus, he's interrupted by a woman who has an issue of blood. Now, let's read verse 41 out of Luke chapter 8 is where we pick up. And behold, there came a man named... Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he had only one daughter, and that daughter was about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying, but as he went, the people thronged him, and then we jump down to verse 49. And you have to understand that between verse 42 and verse 49 is where the woman who had the issue of blood gets into the equation. And she interrupts the flow. She, she causes a disturbance in the schedule. <laughs> and verse 49, while he yet spake, there came one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, thy daughter is dead Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, somebody say into the house, <laughs> he suffered no man to go in except save Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. So if you count the girl who's in the bed, and you count Jesus, that's two. You count mom and dad, that's four. And then you count Peter, James, and John, you've got five, six, seven. Seven is biblically a number of completion. Now, I'm not going to go down that road, but I just thought it was interesting <laughs> because subtractions can come quickly. He suffered no man to go in except, not everybody got the invitation, except Peter, James, and John, his three, his inner core, and the father and the mother of maiden, and all wept and bewailed her. But he said, weep not, 
she is not dead, but sleeping. He's not outside the house when he makes this statement. He's in the house. And who's with him? Peter, James, John, mother and father, the daughter who's laying dead in the bed. And there's seven of them total. And when they get in there, now in that day it was custom that if someone died in your family, you would hire mourners to come and weep outside your house. <laughs> some of us may have to hire some mourners to come. <laughs> I don't know. But it was custom to make a big event out of it. People got paid to cry. <laughs> People got paid to weep. <laughs> and they're not weeping anymore on the outside because Jesus didn't let any of them folks in. He only let a certain group in. But the Bible said that when they got in there, all wept and bewailed her. But he said to them, weep not, she is not dead but sleepeth. And what did they do? They laughed him to scorn knowing that she was dead. And the Bible said that Jesus put them all out. Tell your neighbor God can put you out. Jesus put them all out. Took her by the hand and said, Maid, arise. There was a, he spoke in the Greek or he spoke in the Hebrew when he said, Talitha kumai, which means, Daughter, I say, arise. Luke's gospel said, He said, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again. And she arose straightway. And he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Now, if the Lord will help me this morning, I want to share from this story that to me, this entire passage is nothing more than what I call a crash course in fatherhood. And I want you to look at a dad or a father or a male figure around you and tell them this is a crash course for fatherhood. The Bible said that Jairus is a ruler in the synagogue. Now I told you that he was somebody. That means he had responsibilities. Every man in this room has responsibilities. He had responsibilities at work. People were looking to him with expectations. People looked up to him. He had authority. He was an important man. He was a young ruler where? In the synagogue. He was a ruler. That means he had authority because when a man has no authority, he feels he has no potency. Men have this natural tendency to have power or want to have power over something. Men like to have power over their physique. That's why we're pumping at the gym and strutting our stuff and trying to take pictures of our muscles in the mirror. We take more pictures than we do actually lifting the weights. But we have power 
over our physique. We have power over our posterity. We have power over our purpose. We have power over our plans. And when you take our power away, you take our strength away. Come on, somebody. Jairus is a young ruler. He's got it going on. He's winning over here. He's winning over there. But his daughter is dying. So his world comes to a screeching halt. And a test emerges in his life. It's a test that I think every man and every father has to take in life. Say this with me. It is a test of priorities. For every father that is listening today, we are going to be tested in our priorities. When you're torn between this and that, what are you going to do? And I'm not talking about making it to her recitals or her ballet practice or her school concert or her basketball game. All of that's wonderful. All of that's good. But this goes much deeper. He has a daughter who is dying. Guys, you can be winning here at the expense of losing there. And I'm not here to beat the guys up today, but I certainly have had to learn how to live what I'm sharing with you today. I have a concern for the men today. And I'm not saying that this is for every man that is here at BFWC, but in general, most men who go to church go without ever changing their priorities. They go to church because they like this idea of faith. But to really sacrifice and to really fully engage, there are many men who have never really considered giving their all to Jesus, cleaning up their act, becoming a real Christian. So what some men become is just a church guy. They go to church, but they don't really pray or seek God. They go to church, but they're really not into reading their Bible. They go to church, but they don't serve where needed. They go to church, but they don't tithe. They like the appearance, come on somebody, of showing up with their wife or their family in tow because it becomes an image they want to project. But to become a man of prayer or a man of sacrifice means you have to die to the flesh. It means a change in your priorities. See, when a man won't respond to the scriptures and he won't respond to the sermon and he won't respond to the ministry and he won't respond to God, he has... God then has to let something die to get his focus away from what he does to what he should love. And I hear the Holy Ghost speaking today because God got J. Iris's attention. And I want to ask you brothers, what will it take 
for God to get your attention? How many things will have to die before we come out of our pseudo-Christian attitude and really drop down on our knees and throw our hands up to God and say, all to you I surrender. All to you I freely give. What will it take for us to change our priorities? J. Iris' daughter is dying and God uses this situation to get his attention. God brings J. Iris back to focus. He's winning over here at the expense of losing over here. Ladies and gentlemen, it is easy to lose focus in this life. God uses a situation to remind Jairus that the people around him are more important than his job. The people around him are more important than his hobbies. The people around him are more important than his addiction. The people around him are more important than anything else in his life. I'm not talking about quitting your job. I'm not talking about leaving the area that you're in. I'm just talking about your priorities. Secondly, he had to take the test of patience. Jairus comes to Jesus and he has this urgent request and I mean Things are looking bad at home. Excuse me. And the Bible says that he fell down at the feet of Jesus and begged him that he would come into his house. I want you to come. He only has one daughter. She's about 12 years of age. And at this point, she's laying there dying. And he couldn't hardly get to Jesus because the people were thronging everywhere. His only daughter is dying. He's trying to get to Jesus to get him to come and minister to her. What he doesn't realize is he's about to enter into a test called patience. His priority has shifted. He must deal with this. He cannot let his spouse deal with this. <laughs> he cannot let his in-laws deal with this. He cannot let his BFS deal with this. He has to deal with it. And now he's about to enter a test called patience. And you and I know we are not a patient people. Anyone in the room know what I'm talking about. We don't have patience much for anything. <clears throat> Some of you are saying, I hope this sermon's over quick because I got to get, I got to get to Ponderosa. We don't have much patience for much of anything. I remember when Beverly woke up in the middle of the night screaming in pain from her pregnancy 29 years ago. We didn't realize what was happening. I sure didn't. I was young, green behind the eye. I did not know what was happening. I, but her body had developed the HELP syndrome. Preeclampsia and toxemia had set in. And she woke up screaming in pain. I come up out of that bed and I did not know what to do. Just a young 21-year-old man uh, did not know where to go. I thought she wanted me to take her to urgent care. She didn't want no urgent care. She wanted to go to the ER, the, the hospital. 
And I remember I drove through red lights, Brother JR. I broke every speed limit uh, to get her to the hospital. I was honking my horn. I was yelling at people. I had my window down, get out of my way. I'm trying to get my bride to the hospital. Our baby's life is hanging in the balance. Listen, don't expect me to be spiritual if you get in my way. I got to go. I am spiritual and I love Jesus, but if you get in my way, I might have to hurt you. And that's how I felt at that moment, trying to get Beverly to the hospital. And this is important because when a man thinks something is is important enough that he will ask for help, then you know he's serious about it because most generally we don't admit to anybody when we're in trouble. If the trouble gets bad enough that I want help, I don't want any interruptions once I have asked for help. I want somebody to take care of my situation. Who is this woman with the issue of blood? If you're not my daughter, you need to get out of the way. You need to go home back. There'll be time for you later. Leave Jesus alone. I got to go. Listen, what do you do when you had a plan and somebody interrupted it? What do you do in life when you had your five-year plan and something or someone interrupts it? Because we have to have a plan. We love to have a plan. Men love to have a plan. Ladies, if you are married to a smart man, he's got a plan right now. He's got a plan of how he's going to get that house. He's got a plan of how he's going to work it out. he got a plan of how he's going to pick you up. He's got a plan of what he's going to do. He's got a plan, and if you mess with the plan, we go bananas. This woman with the issue of blood, she wrecked the plan. And Jesus wanted the plan to go right because Jairus had to pass this test of patience. And now he has to stand there and wait for this woman he doesn't even know, for her to crawl across the floor and get a healing. And then we got to wait while there's this great debate on who touched Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine what he's thinking? Now we got to wait for her to come to herself and admit it. Yeah, I did it. And now they just got to hurry up, Jesus. But he has to hold his peace. And every father has to learn to be patient even when your plans don't go right. Jairus teaches us patience. He teaches us that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. He teaches us to hold our peace in a bad situation. He teaches us how to deal with male disappointment. He teaches us what to do when we need to be in control, but we're out of control. And there's nothing you're saying to me this morning that I haven't said to myself. Jairus is teaching us patience. He teaches us patience because things went so wrong for him. 
It wasn't just that she was sick while Jesus is distracted. Now she's dead. You mean I waited through all of that and now she's dead? And, and, and I don't know, maybe you have to have a daughter to understand what that means. That his daughter died while he was waiting. While he was fitting to. While he was getting ready to get together. They send him word and they said, Jairus, <clears throat> don't even bother Jesus anymore. She's dead. And I hear someone thinking this today. I'm, it's too late for me to be a good dad. I hear someone saying, I messed up too many times. My kids won't forgive me. It's over. And maybe Jairus was thinking, She's dead. And maybe it's my fault. Had I gone to Jesus quicker, maybe I could have intercepted that woman. Maybe I could have got to the front of the line. Maybe it's my fault. I should have been there. And now she's dead. And he's just about to lose it. His people come and say, don't worry about it. She's gone. And while he's standing there bewildered and everyone is aghast, Jesus speaks up and says, it's cool. I got this. I got this. I can almost hear Jesus say, I meant for bad to get worse. Because I'm not going to be your daughter's doctor today. I'm going to be her resurrector. I meant for it to get worse. And I allowed your bad to get worse. So you could discover what I am worth in your life, my God. I want you to see me work. I want you to understand how I work. I want to come on the wings of the wind and deliver a promise to your house that if you'll just trust me, even when it looks like your life is out of control, when I get through working it out, I'm going to rejoice. You're going to dance because you're going to know I, the Lord, have got this. She's not dead. She's only asleep. Can I teach this morning? Can I teach to you? Tell somebody God's got this. Bad got worse, but God got this. The situation's out of control, but God's got this. All hell broke loose, but God has got this. You're at your wit's end, but God has got this. You're discouraged and overwhelmed, but God has got this. You're embarrassed, disgraced, but God has got this. Your heart is overwhelmed, but God has got this. Death is in your living room, but God has got this this you don't know who to trust but God has got it you know your friends have become your enemies but God has got this you've been embarrassed in front of people that were proud of you but God has got it I feel a shouting moment I feel a dancing moment I feel a leaping moment for somebody in this room today I feel the Holy Ghost tell somebody God's got it 
He had to pass the test of patience. Turn to somebody and say, hurry up and wait on God. Here's the third test. Jairus teaches us the test of privacy. Ooh, I feel like I teach here a little bit. This may not be for everybody, but it's definitely for somebody. In my prayer, I heard the Lord say, you got too many people with you to get the job done. You got too many people with you to get the job done. Let it fall where it needs to fall. I heard the Lord say that God's going to strip you of some people so that when he does the miracle, there'll be no doubt about who you're going to praise. Hey! There'll be nobody left in the room but God all by himself. Now watch this. I want you to see this. When Jesus gets to the house, the mourners are there. So there's a crowd of people. They're mourning. And Jesus only takes a few people in the room. The mother, the father, Peter, James, and John. And here's Jesus and the damsel who's laying there in bed. And they all go into the room and they leave the mourners outside. And this is the first separation. I heard this. Somebody jot this down for your, for your journal. This was the first separation. Hmm. So Jesus said, Peter, James, and John, mom and dad, can you come a little closer? So they come into the room. And then they're mourning, and Jesus says she's asleep. And the Bible said they start laughing. They're laughing. And I heard the Lord say that their laugh canceled out their opportunity to be in the room. Because anytime you think that God is joking, you cancel out the opportunity to witness his handiwork. Anytime you believe what you see more than you believe what he said, you cancel the opportunity to go into the next room. Oh, I wish I could teach to somebody today. And this is a classic case of God wanting to promote someone who cannot handle the next level. Oh, I feel leadership coming up in my spirit right here. He brought them in a room and then had to put them out of it. Do you have enough faith to stay in the room? Do you have enough faith to believe the report of God. Do you have enough faith to stand on the promise of God? I feel like I'm preaching to somebody. I don't know who it is. Most men think that the object of life is just to get into the room. If I could just get in the room, if I could just have a seat at the table in the room, if I could just be there when all of it goes down, if I can just get in the room when the deal is struck, I want to be the witness. And friend, the problem is not 
not getting in the room. The problem is staying in the room. Oh, hallelujah. Many are the men who got in a room that they couldn't stay in. My God. Your talent may get you in the room, but your character won't let you stay in it. My God. You don't hear me. It's not whether enough you're talented enough to be on that level. It's not that at all. It's do you have the character? Do you have the tenacity? Do you have the fight with you, the work ethic, and the integrity to stay in the room? He pulled them into a room and then pushed them out. This text is deep and wide because there is a fountain flowing. How are you going to put me out of the room, Jesus? How are you going to move Peter, James, and John? How are you going to put them out of the room, Jesus? How are you going to even make mom and dad get out of the room? I think that's breaking somebody's rights right there. They ought to come up with a law on this one. Jesus. But sooner or later, you're going to have to realize, mom and dad, to give your children privacy with God. Sooner or later, you're going to have to cut the umbilical cord and leave them in the hand of God. Trust that if God was God God enough to raise you, if God got you and your crazy self through all the crazy stuff, that you did if God delivered you out of all the mistakes that you made sooner or later you have to tell your children I commend you kids and put you in the word of grace which is able to build your soul and to snatch your soul out of hell daddy mama you can't do it you gotta give it to God I'm giving it to you Jesus I'm giving my child to use they're in your hand the battle belongs to the Lord parents you ought to be shouting me down right now you did everything you could you said everything you could say you opened every door you could open you did everything you could do and now you're going to leave little Johnny and little Shaniqua in the hands of an almighty God somebody shout hallelujah God sent me this morning with an assignment. Fathers, listen up. I want to warn fathers about getting into rooms you can't stay in. You prayed your way in, but can you stay? Political figures, politicians, they often build a task that can get them elected but they don't always build a task to perform the function of the office. Sometimes you're better at getting in than you are staying in. Am I helping anybody? So he said, everybody out. Get on out of here. Get on out of here. Because here comes the next test. A test of power. Think about this for a moment. 
How many times have you prayed for healing and got healed but you don't remember when? How many times have you prayed for things to get better and they did but you don't remember when they got better? You just looked around and said, I'm feeling better. She's acting better today. <laughs> the kids are doing better. The cat is doing better. Because God does not need your input to display his power. When God gets ready to bring you out, he can bring you out even without a witness. He can bring you out so fast that you don't even know how you got out. Touch somebody and say power. The power of God will work all by itself. The power of God will walk in to a girl that you know is dead and you're sure she's dead. She's so dead that they laughed when he said she's asleep and yet his power spoke to a dead girl. My God, what are you talking about? How are you going to talk to a dead girl, Jesus? How are you going to speak to dead people? Don't you know that dead people can't hear, Sister Anna? Don't you know that dead people cannot respond he said but my words are spirit and my words are life he got over and whispered in her ear Talitha Kuma get up get up get up you were dead till I said it but when I speak it I said get up <laughs> tell your neighbor I was dead till I got the word my finances were dead. My praise was dead. My peace was dead. My joy was dead. My wisdom was dead. But life came back into me when the word of God spoke and quickened into my spirit. Can I get somebody to get on your feet this morning? Stand to your feet all over this house and give God praise. If you know that the spirit of God speaks life to you. Come on, somebody praise God that the Spirit of the Lord brought life back into you. The Spirit of God brought life into your dead situation. I was dead until I got a word from the Lord. I had all but given up, but the word came. I was in the hospital about to die, but the word of the Lord came. He said, my words are spirit and they are life. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Stand to your feet, remain standing. Can you imagine, just leave those house lights up. Can you imagine when the test was over and Jesus opens up the door to the room and he's got little JJ in his arms <laughs> little Lulu little Nene <laughs> little Nuki Sue <laughs> and he says come here baby come on now come on now 
And he brings her in out of his arms. And he says, give her something to eat. So I, I can't even close. Get, get ready. I can't even close yet, though. Because I had a question. This, this had me all up. My question is, Lord, if you knew you were going to raise her, why then did you let her die? And here's my problem. If God is omniscient, which means he knows everything, and if God is omnipotent, that has, he has all power and can do anything, and if God is omnipresent, that means that he's everywhere at the same time. If he can do anything, why didn't he just heal her before he ever came? And if he knows everything, didn't he know that talking to that woman who had the issue of blood would belabor the situation and this young child would die? This 12-year-old 317 student... If he knew that, if he is, knows everything, didn't he know? If he's omnipresent, why did he have to go when he was already there? And that's my question. Because I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why God lets things go wrong when he knows he's already going to fix it. And I heard the Lord say, this is the answer. It was just a test. And you may be here today, gentlemen, moms and dads, and you have a test of priorities in front of you, a test of patience, a test of privacy, or a test of power. Where are you right now in the testing process? God wants you to pass the test. I want every father and every man to come out of your seat if you feel comfortable doing so. And fill the whole front of this church up, all the men. Ladies, give them a God bless you as they come. Come as close as you can to the altar. Look at all the men. Come on, keep clapping, keep clapping. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, they're still coming out of the balcony, still coming. Fill the altar. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you, Lord. It was just a test. 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 Come on, fill it up, guys. Make room. There are guys coming in, chime down the aisle. Hallelujah. It was just a test. 
I've been in situations where I didn't know how God was going to turn it to be the, the leader of your home. To not know how you're going to make it to the next payday. How you're going to put food on the table. Pay for the sports program. Pay for child care. Didn't know how I was going to do all that. Still be a good father. People expect so much out of me. Come on, somebody. Come on, men. They expect me to do what sometimes I don't feel adequate to do. Maybe you didn't have a father. Maybe you didn't have a role model. And you just had to fight your way. You had to scrap your way to get where you are today. And you question yourself. You question yourself every time you turn around, am I good enough? But I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to worry about impressing anyone around you. Your Father in heaven affirms you. He affirms you. He affirms you. You don't prove your worth by your muscles. You don't prove your worth by how much income you make. You don't prove your worth by the car you're driving or the shoes you have on. That is not where your worth comes from. Your worth comes from him who created you in his likeness and after his image and put his seal upon your head and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I want you to lift your hands, men, because he's well pleased. He's well pleased with you. He's well pleased with you today. I lift my hands in the heavens and declare that God is with me. When your hands are raised, I want you to begin to confess this. I am the righteousness of God. Come on, say, I am the righteousness of God. I am a man of God. I am a man of God. I will be what he called me to be. It's only a test. I will pass. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center.